The following podcast contains explicit language. Are we ready to go? Okay, you guys ready? Sorry, Is everyone wait, fired does, up? I'm totally yes! fired up. Yeah. I'm so fired up. I, There's some uh, great questions. I wish, uh, yeah. No. Is it really technically conundra? Oh, please. <laughs> oh, so many people <laughs> have even, asked us. We get that question wait, every no, year. Hello, and welcome to the Slate Political Gab Fest. December 29th, 2022, the 2022 Conundrum Edition. I'm David Plotz of CityCast in a studio with the finest minds in the Eastern Time Zone. First, a man who sees the head of a pin and immediately says, 12, there are 12 angels on it, John Dickerson of CBS's Primetime. Hello, John. Hello, David. I thought you were going to say I have the head of a pin, in in that I am a pin head. But I have a really small head, so yeah. I wouldn't. That would never. You would cast never. That wouldn't be. You were right. That would be the one area of aspersion that you wouldn't cast. Uh, then Solomon himself wishes he could be as Solomonic as she is, the woman who puts the tall in Talmudical. Emily Bazelon of the New York Times Magazine and Yale University Law School. Hello, Emily. Hello, David. You really went for it this morning. <laughs> He's just I, really, was, I was on a train really early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. These are the plot's pirouettes. <laughs> then the third, third cartoonist laureate of the state of Vermont and the second consecutive MacArthur genius who has joined us for our annual conundrum show. Her very presence enables this podcast to finally, for the first time in 16 years, pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> Our special conundrum guest star, the sublime Vermont cartoonist Alison Bechdel. Uh, Alison, welcome. Hi, David. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's so weird to see all of you, uh, these voices now in, in bodies. We tend to disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> Not disappointed, not yet. Uh, not, not yet, yet. yes. You've got to hour. You really have to know us too. to feel disappointed by us. <laughs> this week on the Gab Fest, we planned for it, we trained for it, we stop eating carbs, start mainlining omega-3s, do wordles and spelling bees until our brains are taut and muscled. But can we ever truly be prepared to face the terrible onslaught of your conundrums? From a pile 586 questions high, we will now tackle... Some of the most difficult, challenging, and more often trivial questions of human existence. Welcome to GabFest Conundrums 2022. Can you make a sound, pew, pew, pew. Thank you, John. Pew. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you could get one definitive answer to a vexing question of the universe or of human existence, what question would you want answered? That comes to us from someone who didn't want their name attached to it. Oh, my God. That's such a hard one to start with. I looked at the... Examples: There were aliens, the afterlife, climate change timeline. And I thought, I don't want to know any of those things. Uh, I think knowing what happens after we die would just suck all the mystery out of life. Uh, I don't know if I, if I would want an answer to any of these things. I'm pretty – I, I want to know about aliens. 
I want to know. And not. I mean, they're obviously aliens. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Exactly. Well, you want to know how far here, away they are. Well, that's what I was just stumbling towards is like, actually, I think there there are aliens. So then what do I really, If it, is it one question, right? Or is it like, because if there's only one question, I know they're aliens. So maybe I withdraw the question. I've, I withdraw the answer, I, I guess. I, 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 again, I was up super early. So I had two answers to this. One is I would like to know what is beyond the universe. So there's the universe, but what's beyond it? And the other is actually what I really want to know, which is, am I real? Like, am I oh, what wow. I perceive to be? That's a- good. On a planet, yeah. you know, I'm six feet tall. I have real consciousness. I'm experiencing, like, what I experience. Is that so real? So do you have enough doubt about whether you're real that that's, like, a genuine issue on your mind? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. So it's a question that actually vexes you as opposed to one... It, that vexes you because you don't know the answer, if you see what I'm saying. One is you think about it a lot. The other is like, wow, this is a really big question. It'd be cool to have the answer to. Huh. So you but think that a too lot. feels like an animating question of existence. Like if you knew that you were real, then wouldn't you just stop existing in some way? <laughs> if I knew I was real or I knew yeah. I wasn't real. Either way. <laughs> I don't know. It would, be, it would be daunting to learn either way. Uh, but I, I, do, I do really wonder about it. I think all these AI yeah, people oh, have gotten in my head. Would it change your behavior if you knew either way, or can you not figure that thought experiment out? I don't know. I want to know whether there are going to be people walking around in 100 or 200 or 10,000 years. I would like to know the timeline for humanity's existence. How does it end? That's does it end in the foreseeable future? I'm curious about that. Now, you could still be right, Allison, that we would be better off without that information because if it turns out it's really short yeah, timeline, that would be terrifying. Yeah, that would be terrifying. Like three weeks. <laughs> yes. Yes. Show will be interrupted. I would like to know if it's three weeks, actually. But if it's like 10,000 years, would that remove our ability to worry about ex- long-term kind of semi-existential threats like climate change? If we knew there were going to be people, would we be like, oh, whatever, Earth? Warm up, who cares? Yeah, but what if it's 9,999 years of living in a, in a crust barely existing during that period? So, yeah, you exist, but it's no picnic. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's, I don't think I'd want the answer to that. Okay, so no answers to any of life's <laughs> big questions. Does anyone want to know whether there's a God? Oh, wow, that never occurred to me. I mean, I believe in God, so I'm curious, but I'm not sure I actually want to know for sure. Uh- I feel like my question answered that if I get the answer to – if the question is I'm not real, then there's basically a god. And if I am real, then there's no god. I thought if you weren't real, there's a simulation. Right. That, and that's a god. god that's like, a god, yes. Ugh, there's something okay. that's so powerful. It controls all of existence, including my existence. Huh. I don't like that definition of god. It's like a computer. Okay. We're moving along. Is that what you're telling me? He's playing God, damn it. <laughs> Comma. Okay. Damn it. You find two perfectly ripe, unblemished bananas sitting on a city sidewalk in the middle of the day. This question comes from Carrie. Do you pick them up and eat them? No way. No way. Even if it appears to be unblemished, someone could very easily have injected them with strychnine with a tiny little syringe. Exactly. It's you a banana. Would never eat them. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I mean, <laughs> I why know chance your you. hand on a banana? Like, it's a banana. Is there anything you would pick up? That's the question. So I I actually have – it's funny. 
Allison's point, I think, holds. I even I, who have very low standards, yes, I don't. Yes, you think and I, would, I are the the I would, ones. I, would, I don't know you well enough to say, John. The answer is no. <laughs> definitely to all no. Such <laughs> <questions>. <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> even if Anne bought bananas, brought them home, exactly. John probably wouldn't eat them. If there's well, one actually, blemish, forget it. The bananas that Anne puts in the freezer because they've they they're going to go bad, and we need to use them in the smoothie. Those are seriously sub. Like, I don't really but deal with those for smoothies. I know, that's what you think, so, but not really. So I don't think I would take the banana, but the thing that I've often thought about, which which solves the, the strychnine problem, is there's so many times you walk by a restaurant where people are eating alfresco and they've left bread, or there's like some <laughs> fries there, and you're like, those fries are just going to get chucked. That bread is, looks very crusty. Fries get cold, but the bread. The bread, so very crusty I bread. I think the only thing butter, that stops me in these moments I would definitely is just take that. fear of judgment. Yeah. Like, I have no other thing stopping me in those moments. And I have often thought about it hard because that's the kind of thing that I would love to do. It just has, like, the perfect amount of deviance in it. I think, the, for me, the fear of communicable disease is stronger. I, I wouldn't eat other people's food. That's why you live in the woods in Vermont. No, but actually, that's the question. So, if you were in the woods hiking and you found a banana on the – well, uh, let's do the banana in the woods. A blackberry. Yeah, depends on where you would find hiking it. A pun of blackberries. Because I bet, I bet be you like grab gift. stuff off a bush and, and yeah, eat it. Yeah, I would. I would. But there, yeah, there are a few bad, fewer bad actors in the woods to worry about. Why do we feel that way about berries in the woods? Because we love finding berries in the woods. That's like a great snack. Yeah. I think you're right. Fewer bad actors. Um, I like the digital button question. What button mm. does the digital world most need? For example, in the days of Pandora Radio, I wanted a button for I like this song, but it doesn't belong on this station. Or in the current world of Zoom meetings, this idea from at Awesome. Meetings should have a button you can secretly press, and if everyone presses the button, the meeting suddenly ends. Nice idea. So what button or command would you add to our digital lives? I would add two buttons. Number one, a button that would mute anyone's audible audio coming from a device. I had that same exact thought. Yeah. And mute them talking on the phone if you can only hear one end of the conversation. Yes. Okay. That's number one. <laughs> Number two. Wait, oh. you mean like on a train? Yes. Or when they did, when? Oh my, th th that was mine. Yeah. Okay. Mute, mute any any person's phone conversation on the train. Yeah, I have, we've talked. I mean, because the train that I go up yeah. and down to DC on. I mean, the the conversations people have out loud. You wonder what? Well, well, how do you not know that you're speaking really loudly about this this thing that's incredibly embarrassing that you're talking about? I think there's also something about the syncopated rhythm of only being able to hear one end of a oh, phone call that makes it almost impossible to ignore. I have a whole theory about why. It's so incredibly irritating, and that is part of it. But there are only some of us who are like that. Anne can go about her day and not and not hear. Sorry, I'm totally stomping all over David's thing. Second thing he wants to say, okay. but 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 Nan and I cannot be out. And if there's another conversation going on, that's all we're going to hear. Not the conversation we're having with. Can the we add leaf there. blowers to what gets muted? That would be so so helpful. That's a totally different button. No, oh. uh, I would add. I gave this some thought. I would love a button. That's on my Apple Watch because this thing is always collecting all this biometric data. So I think it could very easily figure out what kind of mood I'm in. And it would sync with my partner's Apple Watch, figure out what kind of mood she's in. And then it would scroll through all of our streaming apps to find the movie that we both were in the mood to watch at the same Whoa. time. Or the, oh, song, or the song to listen to? or, or Mostly no, movies. Mostly movies. Okay. Yeah. 
Oh, because that's so hard to decide. Should, could it? Oh, also this, tell is, you? this is this <laughs> is because we sit around. We'll watch like nine trailers, and then we'll go. Screw it. We can't figure yeah, out what to I watch. Know, you're exhausted. Yeah, exactly. The exhaust. The trailer the exhaustion. exhaustion. Choice. Would it also be helpful if that same button told you whether to go talk to your partner or not? Because sometimes if you knew the mood they were in, you would leave them alone. I might. As the person, the chatty person in the household who needs to have her, who needs to be repressed. (laughs) Well, I think it assumes that you both are in the mood to just start watching a movie. Okay. So you don't want to chit-chat. That's the whole point, avoiding the chit-chat. Did you offer your second button? I'll get my second. My second button is much more trivial, but much more useful, which is... You know how when you have an get an online recipe, you have to like scroll through. You can't yeah. find the recipe. So I want a button which finds the best version of an online recipe and takes you to the recipe. Right and to you, the heart of it. And you don't have to deal yeah. with any anything else. You know that's the fault of Facebook because I, they Google it's Google, the fault of Google. Oh, it was Google. Okay, they like prioritized content about recipes that first has people going on and on about the recipe. And why ever did they do that? It's so dumb. They should stop. What I want is the button where you're driving. It's not really a button, but let's just imagine it is. You're driving down a highway in some incredibly cool small town that was once a thriving metropolis but has now come on hard times. And you can point at a building and have it say, you know, this was the doctor's office of Josiah Flapperjobham. And he was the person who, whatever, injected strychnine in bananas or whatever. And that will tell you the whole history of that thing you're looking at. Oh, I've wanted that so many that times. That is genius. And show you a picture of what it used to the look like. Yes. That's what I yes. want. Yes. I exactly. want the button which displays the world as it was. As it yeah. was. Right. I exactly. feel like someone could create that about a particular be- city or neighborhood. I mean, they it could. would take a lot of painstaking work, but you They've could made, totally um, do that. Th- that amazing app for mountains called Peak Finder. Like, I always was... was Hoping, how can I identify these mountains? And someone made an app that shows you what mountains you're looking at. And constellations oh, yes. have one. Yeah. Um, the and they have the one, of course, for flora and fauna. You just pointed at it, right, and it tells right. you what you're. But when when I was a little kid, um, there was a book we had about Rome where it showed what the you know Colosseum looked like today, and then it had this little film you could put over and what it looked like in the pa- in the past. Yeah. I was like hours yeah. flipping that yes. little film back yes. and forth. I want the button that allows that to happen in life. Yeah, me too. Okay. It's the pie question. Is it wrong to just go ahead and eat the last slice of cake or pie when it's just you and your partner? That's, that is, by the way, from Phil Goldstein. Oh, yeah. The imperturbable, irrepressible Phil Goldstein, who has so many good conundrums every year. I think it's okay. I don't know. Maybe it's my inner selfish quality. Okay, so I will say this. When my children are around, it's totally not okay. They get super irritated. But my husband's really nice. He doesn't mind when I eat the last of anything. Though I tend to not do it. I tend to take, don't we all do this? You take half of it or a piece of it and leave part of it. Yeah, I wouldn't eat the whole thing unless I was starving for some reason. You're not allowed to be starving for dessert, right? Right. No, I I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't take it. I would have a discussion. And why not? Why would you not take it? Um, it just doesn't seem right. Exactly. And also, if it's something that the kid thing is really interesting, too, because also then how angry do you get that they've t- taken the last piece of the thing you were like saving up the day for, you know? Yeah. So you'd have a conversation, David. You know what's great about this? Divorce. <laughs> wondering what you were going to think about this. Of all the pie you need. But you have a girlfriend to consider. Um, I do, but actually it's really, this is very interesting because my girlfriend and I do not live together. And so one of us is always a guest at the other's 
house. So, and then so you, you are, wouldn't you do are this. gracious to a guest. Right. And that's you're not genius. gracious to your partner. And you're not gracious to a partner. No, it's actually, it's, it's a very fascinating dynamic. I don't know, you know, who knows if it continues in perpetuity, but it is, I do love that I'm a guest at Maria's and Maria's a guest with me. And then you have to be more respectful of a guest. A certain amount of civility prevails. Yeah. Also, she doesn't really eat pie. All the pie for you. Also, it is a great act when your partner, um, when you know that your partner has actually restrained their desire for that last piece of pecan pie and hasn't on your behalf. So it makes the pecan pie, when you ultimately get it, that much sweeter. That is true. Isn't it also true that one of the joys of companionate partnership is that there are some things you know your partner's not going to care whether you take it or not, right? Like, I would never eat the last piece of pie. Paul likes pie so much better than I do. But there are some desserts I just know he would be like, oh, of course, it's chocolate. You're going to eat it. I feel like this is verging on an O. Henry short story in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Slate Plus members, you get bonus segments on the GabFest and other Slate podcasts, as well as member-exclusive episodes from shows like Slow Burn and Amicus and no ads on any podcasts. Although an ad on a conundrum show might be a relief. Who knows? You can go to slate.com slash GabFest Plus to become a member today. And we're going to do bonus conundrums in our Slate Plus segment today. So you will get even more, even more of our cogitation and uh, dorm room bullshitting. Slate.com slash GabFest Plus. This episode of the GabFest is brought to you by Aura Frames. Are you looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It is super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Aura frames in the notes that I have here says moms like Aura frames. I'm here to tell you that is like the truest statement in the world. I gave my mother an aura frame. She absolutely loves it. She's also always hectoring me to keep adding new photos to her aura frame so that she's got great new photos every week. So think about giving your mother or grandmother or aunt or sister or friend an aura frame for Mother's Day. It was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code GABFEST at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
Would you rather have a terrible person be your neighbor or your coworker? I I'll try that one. I I I think I would go with a uh, coworker because you'd be be with them less for less time of the day. You at least have the refuge of your home to go to after working with this person all day. I feel like if it's a coworker you have to regularly interact with, I'm going to say neighbor because I have lived in places and had neighbors and managed to not ever talk to them for a long time. But if they were the worst neighbor in the world, they would really yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> and there are some structures of the workplace that you can use to your advantage to build a Maginot line from you and the and the coworker. And, and, and with a neighbor, it's all fuzzy. It's all based on shared norms, especially if you live in the woods. And I mean, <laughs> yes. they put, they're still putting strychnine and bananas and sprinkling <laughs> them about the yard and doing all that kind of stuff. Also, while you're asleep, Lord knows what they can do uh, and, all, and all kinds of other stuff. You've got you've got um, uh, sump pumps that can go awry. You've got um, all kinds of like yeah. adjacent um, environmental issues they could be messing with, too. My parents have my parents have a house in Vermont and they had a neighbor who had a neighbor who was terrible and it was their life was a living hell in a way that I think that's right and with work you have HR there's a you can go to there's a, there mm. is another unless this authority. person works in HR oh they probably do they probably do <laughs> uh, but there is a, another authority you can appeal to but in neighborliness it's very hard to appeal to another authority unless you go to the government and which is difficult also all right I changed my answer this is all very persuasive it also makes me realize I've only had one not even bad neighbor, just like only one uncomfortable interaction with a neighbor since my childhood. When I was a kid, wow. we had some um, neighbors who were quite tricky. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's true. It's such a luxury. And then if it's bad, I can imagine feeling very self-conscious every time you went outside. Uh, Allison, are you sticking, sticking with? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very much informed by my country dwelling. But yeah, I'm sticking with it. Would you rather get to spend a day with your great-grandparent in their childhood or your great-grandchild in their elder years? This comes from Andy Andrews. This is another one that sort of touches on the climate future. And I don't want to see, the, you know, what life would be like even in like 2100. I think that would be about if I had children who had children who had children, it would be around 2100. I would much rather go back to the late 19th century and see clouds of passenger pigeons in the air and smell the air that's not polluted and hear the silence with no airplanes. Definitely polluted, though. The air was definitely Well, polluted. yeah, de- there was all with kinds of coal, pollution going on. But you could, <laughs> are you curious about a particular family member? Like, are you interested in that? Does that seem relevant I to would, you? Yes, I would I would go back to one of my, my mother's father's parents who grew up in the Tyrolean Alps, and I think that would probably not too much coal smoke up there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Heidi. Yeah, totally Heidi. I'm 100% with you, Allison. Like, I, it is that dread of you don't want to learn the future. You never want to know the future about anything. Yeah. That is number one. And number two, um, those are people who you know something about. And so you to understand how they were shaped. Although I, I, think, I, don't, I, I feel like great-grandparent is too far. I would like to be where, with my grandparents because they are familiar to me. I knew them. And so to know what they were like as youngsters, would be more appealing. I feel like you're missing such an opportunity for your curiosity here to find out something that you don't know at all, whether it's the 19th century or the 22nd century. You really don't want to know anything about something you don't know anything about. Like, I want to, my great-grandparents, some of them, like, had to immigrate. I'm curious about that. But I'm also oh. really curious about my great-grandchildren. I mean, it is, like, it would be scary if they didn't exist or were terrible. But I 
I'm interested. Right. Uh, this guy will gobble up a banana anywhere, but doesn't care. I mean, he'll take a chance on a banana, but not the future of his grandchildren. <laughs> um, my great-grandmother, the problem is I have romanticized Mary Ellen Walsh, the youngest of 11, who was put on the boat from Ireland to just, like, make her way. I have so romanticized oh, well. her that I would... That I'd be worried if if she if she wasn't the person that I've imagined her to be, and I don't really. I just imagine I, basically all the facts I've said are the ones I know. A few more I know, but anyway, I'd like to like to have met her because she would have been made of some. Those tough people stuff. on the boats, yeah, how did they do it right? And and yeah, I mean, just here you go. You could have done it. We all could have done it. I don't if know. You, I get so seasick. You would I have really so, question yeah. it. Awful. Okay, fuck, marry, kill, bread, rice. Pasta. I always get confused about this. <laughs> I want to well, fuck well, and marry bread, and I don't really care about the other two. You can't fuck and marry I'm them. just answering. Listen, I guess I marry To all you bread. listeners out there who might chance <laughs> to leave a piece of bread on your table when you're eating alfresco, <laughs> watch out for Emily because she's going to take it home true. and keeping it there. So I don't know true. what's going to happen, but it's going to be weird. Uh, what are you doing to the bread again? I'm marrying it or fucking it, whichever gets me more of it. Marrying it. Marry okay, it. marrying it. Marrying well, it depends what you But I don't care about rice and pasta. Like, I'm not interested in either of them wow. particularly. Really? Eh. Take or leave. I, you'd be amazed at how much time I spent thinking about this question. <laughs> I want to know how it landed. I definitely would marry bread. Definitely marry bread. And then I would definitely fuck pasta and... And I would kill rice, even though I love rice. Oh, I but pasta, would... like great pasta, brings so much pleasure. So a single night with pasta, huh. oh, incredible! And that's sensuous, but that's all. Yeah, the sensuous ribbons. But that's all you get. Yes, but bre- because bread is the staff of life, you need to have bread every day. I mean, yes. I think John feels differently, and he is allowed. Well, yeah. I'm just I'm I'm now figuring out how this sorts, and so now a, a, a set of revelations are cascading well, over me at the moment of... beyond the uh, gluten ones. Karen. Right, <laughs> I think I didn't understand that the fuck part was only once. I think that's the implication. I think you're yes. right, because otherwise it's sort of indistinguishable, or maybe just the occasional flings. Yeah, right, yeah. right, yeah. flings. It, I think it's supposed to connote deep passion. If I can take hold of the uh, instructions for a moment. Uh, Wow, I don't know. It's such a fight between bread and pasta. Rice, I'm I love rice, up but for it can rice. It's so oh, yeah, I would totally marry rice. I mean, you're marrying rice. Yeah, I mean, if it's brown rice, if it if it has to be like that white fast cooking supermarket rice, forget no, it. I think you get to pick kill your kind that. of rice. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna marry rice. Uh, uh, kill R- arborio risotto arborio uh, uh, short grain brown. Oh, interesting. I don't even know. Whoa. What that is. Well, I'm it's like find just out. like real basic. You know, hippie rice. That's a real hippie rice. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's a hippie marriage. You're gonna have like a, you're gonna barefoot ceremony. Yeah. Tofu. There's <laughs> tofu in this <laughs> bowl too. Quinoa's <laughs> gonna be like a threesome with quinoa. <laughs> 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 uh, kale. Who's yes. inviting kale over yeah. tonight? And, and Israeli couscous is knocking on the door, wondering what's going on. <laughs> hey, um. I think that I'm on your side, David, because it just occurred to me that a great piece of bread can by itself be the thing. And good pasta is good, but it needs other stuff, right? So it's actually not the pasta itself that is that is the pasta you're thinking about. Also, always. bread Although can be cold pasta. or warm, and we eat it for every meal. Do you have bread at every meal? No, I mean one can. Oh, okay. I mean, I might on some days, yeah. but one can. Yeah. Okay. I think you'd be malnourished with all this bread eating. That's why I'm going with rice. Much uh-huh. more wholesome. 
Huh. A lot more nutrients. I think you'd be healthier going your direction. Yeah. Um, you can go back in time and grant your younger self more of more of one of the three of these things. Confidence, patience, or intelligence. Which do you choose to grant yourself more of? I love this question. I would totally go back in time and grant myself more confidence. I would, in fact, I would grant myself more confidence right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah the timeline, you can go back in time like a couple a of minute. seconds, really. Yeah. And what would that have gained you? Uh, uh, I don't know. I've just always been a very shy, retiring person, and I think I, I would have made my way sooner in the world if I had stood up for myself And maybe more. enjoyed it more. And maybe enjoyed it more, yeah, instead of feeling constant dread. Because things have worked out for you. So maybe it's the enjoyment level. Yes. Yes. I'm going to go with patience. I mean, I certainly could have used more confidence, but I feel like patience is my, my lack of patience is one of my deepest flaws. And so I would like to address that. And I think I'd be happier if I was less brittle and irritated, which I think of as aligned with impatience. But maybe your impatience motivated you to do things. Exactly. Maybe. Be, but that's like impatience with oneself. I have a sort of petty streak of impatience okay. with other people that I'm not proud of at all, and I don't think serves me well. Okay. Well, that's okay. You've rescued because I was totally. You were going to save me, but no, it turns well, out no, it's just th- a deep flaw. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the question on when we say intelligence, do we mean just horsepower, or do we mean we mean wisdom? I think I mean, horse. you get to decide. Oh. I think horsepower. Yeah, because wisdom's too easy. Yeah. It's you a cheap, don't need we'd all more intelligence. Wisdom. I mean, you have a lot of it. Well, the question is whether intelligence would help you solve some of the two other problems. <laughs> so, right, if you have a lack of patience and, you, patience and you're intelligent. But I think mm, it, it's a misframed question. Yeah. I think, um, I think, yeah, I think confidence is, is um, I mean, it's also the question of whether these are questions in the abstract or with respect to your own personality. Oh, your own personality. Own personality. Uh, I, I think confidence, because would, it would be just be a more happy life. David? I guess I want to, I feel like the, the virtue signaling answer would be to say patience, because I'm a really impatient person. <laughs> uh, but Is he accusing I'm, you of virtue signaling? No, he's thinking of himself. Thinking, I don't know, okay. maybe he is a little but bit. I, I think I would want more, honestly, I'd want more intelligence. Oh, I, come on. How much ridiculous. more intelligence can you have? <laughs> yeah, I know. What about I the think... rest of us? Yeah, see, can't no, remember you know what? any poetry ever. Emily, we fell for it. Oh. He's fucking fishing. He is absolutely <laughs> fishing. Oh, I no, wish no, I was no, more no. humble. I don't oh, think God. he's fishing at all. I totally don't think he's fishing. I know. I just I'm think kidding. He's I just like had to take that cheap shot. It was so right in front of us. I know. But he's not fishing. You're not fishing. But he also is incredible. I mean, I guess why not have more? Why not have more? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. We're going to do a different one. I did not think you were fishing for the record. <laughs> Allison, if you could take one historical figure with you to a completely different time and place and both return safely, who would you take from when and to where? Uh, I, I've actually had this enduring fantasy about getting to bring Jane Austen into the modern world. But maybe that doesn't follow the dis- the instructions yeah. here because I would I would want to bring her to this moment. I think it's yeah. okay. okay. It's a different yeah. Co- yeah. Pl- time it's and place. A different time for her. place for her. Yeah. Okay. This is an old fantasy, more from my younger years. But I think it would still be really fun to just um, show her all the wild progress that there's been. And I'd have to like prevent her from like swooning because she'd be so overwhelmed by, you know, seeing all the stuff women can do that they couldn't do before. Would you make her watch Pride and Prejudice, like oh, TV God. shows and movies? Yes, I would definitely. That would be on the list. Uh, we'd start with the 
BBC 1995 version, the miniseries. <laughs> I think she'd be happy with that one. I think she'd one. be very happy. Yeah. And most of them, honestly, or at least some of them. Some more than others. I don't some know. Clueless. I bet you'd like Clueless. Yes. <laughs> Emily? So I feel like this is a kind of pathetic answer, but I'm going to go with it anyway. I'm so curious whether Shakespeare is one person and what oh. he would make of our world. And, like, would he just write more incredibly enduring, beautiful plays for us? So I kind of want to have Shakespeare be around. I'm also sort of— Why do you wonder if Shakespeare is one person? I thought that was, like, pretty positively <laughs> settled. I guess I can't well, you believe could, you find out Because one if person. he came back to the present moment, maybe he'd be five people. Yeah. I just can't. I guess I can't believe that he actually existed. You Shouldn't you have spent your vexing question thing on this? Oh. Huh. Is Shakespeare, yeah. one, Is Shakespeare person? one person? Well, hmm. well now Maybe. She's, but she's got to, she's bringing this guy. She's either. Yeah. I, I think she's answering her vexing question through this one. Um, what, would you, what would you have him do? Well, I, I like take in the world and transmit it back to us the way he did with his own world. So here's a curious thing. If you believe Harold Bloom's uh, book where basically Shakespeare introduced us to ourselves, what if now, because all of the patterns of thinking and the way we look at the world was introduced to us by his plays, he's actually not that interesting. It's like it's like really like full of cliches. Lord, what fools these mortals be. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, the rose, the rose. Sure, it smells sweet. Right, right. But have you tried lavender? Um, It would be really bad if Shakespeare turned out to be kind of bad company after all. Yeah, you would imagine he would be. I love it. He's, like, quoting lines. He's, like, dropping these aphorisms, and everyone's like... Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Um, this is a that star- is the question. Yeah, <laughs> this is a Starbucks, sir. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I wanted to bring Christ forward. I wanted to bring Lincoln, but I don't really. I don't know. I, I mean, feel don't like give up on Jesus. We have yeah. to find out whether he was real. Um, well, uh, I do. I'm curious. <laughs> you may have very firm uh, beliefs on no, that. No, you know, because it would be like that great scene. Um, is it in Manhattan or Annie Hall uh, with Marshall McLuhan in line? You know, it would be like, um, here's this person you're claiming. Uh, he's got a few things to unload on you about both what you say in his name and also um, here's the way you actually are supposed to act when you believe these sets of But no of one things. would believe it was Jesus. It would be really a problem right. if yeah. Jesus right. showed right. up. Everyone would right. be like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Go hang out with the rhyming guy <laughs> stroking his beard at Starbucks. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, it's really interesting. You all, you three all went the same. I went totally the other way, which was I thought, who could I move to make our present life better by moving them back to the past so that the past would get better. And so mm-hmm. my idea was I'm going to send like Thomas Edison or somebody of that Eli Whitney or some Albert great inventor. Albert Einstein. Nah, he's too theoretical. Somebody very, oh. pr- some really practical inventor back to like Renaissance Florence oh. where, they, where they can make a quick difference in how technology is incorporated and you get to modernity faster. So what did you think about like electricity showing up 500 years later? We would have just destroyed the world all the, I all know. the more quickly. I, Faster is not I, I necessarily better. I believe in modernity. <laughs> I believe in modernity. <laughs> not yes, not the other day. It. You were all getting rid of academia entirely as a beneficial force in mankind. I, that is interesting why they're getting there faster. Because Edison had some bad ideas too, like all good, like all people with good ideas. Like when he tried to suck the bullet out of Garfield, that was a bad idea. What an interesting way your brain works. 
Okay. If you were alone in the woods, miles from civilization, and you clearly witnessed a UFO up close, leaving no doubt in your heart and mind that what you witnessed was real, but you had no video or audio recording of it, would you tell anyone about your experience? This comes from Jason Howard. This is the plot of the movie Nope. Oh. I didn't know that. I didn't mm. know that either. You haven't seen the movie? Mm. Now we know oh, well, now go. we know what we can watch oh, together on movie night. Oh yeah, yeah, you can. It's yeah. a really interesting movie. I totally recommend it. Uh I so I had a neighbor growing up. Um I lived in Chevy Chase, DC. Very nice sort of urban but suburban neighborhood. And there was this one neighbor who lived around the corner. Um this was probably when I was a teenager, who would walk around the neighborhood with um a scotch in the afternoon and sort of with you know keep an eye on his kids and seemed like a really nice guy and then one day there was a magazine story in the washington post about people who had been kidnapped by ufos and it was about him wow and so he was this person who normally just sort of had this normal life but he believed he had been kidnapped by a ufo and it was really revelatory like wow this, this dude <laughs> there's something dark and weird inside this guy and yet he presents normally and that made me think i would not i would not want to i i think i would I don't think I would say anything. Huh. By the way, back to the um, vaccine question thing. What if had have aliens visited us already would be a cool question to ask. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've made a career out of saying things people don't think make any sense. Why would I stop at this? How hard would you push it? Would you keep talking about it? It would be like the, would your you be EDA Cassandra fix. about it? As longtime listeners of this podcast know, there are topics that I keep talking about relentlessly after there is no evidence of human interest in them at all. So I think I'd probably talk about it a lot. Allison, you're most likely to be walking in the woods. I, I would I would talk about it. I feel like the stigma has changed as we know more about the universe and understand the likelihood of, you know, other life being out there. I, I would talk about it. I don't care if people stigmatize me. I'm, I'm in the woods. What do I care? Also, you've got to figure that maybe, like, there's so much that some evidence will come out, like, some it'll be on someone's there'll be a radar track or something that will come out that will verify you. Or you don't even care about that. Plus, if you said it and people weren't (laughs) sure, and then it turned out there was evidence that supported your view, you would be like super prescient and appreciated. I love this question. If you could get in a fist fight with your 23 year old self, who would win? This question is from Germ. My 52 year old self would win. I'm pretty sure of that. Because you're stronger? Because I'm st- I weigh like 160 pounds. I weigh 200 pounds now. I'm much slower and less coordinated, but I'm much stronger. So I'm pretty sure that that I would win. And I also think my 23-year-old self would be very gracious to an old man. I think my 23-year-old yes. self would would be like I'm not going <laughs> to This is weird. I'm not going to fight this guy hard. That would be terrible to But what if your 23-year-old self needed a confidence and therefore you needed to let him win so that he could feel as though he bested this Adonis that was rumbling down the street? <laughs> I always think of Adonis. <laughs> I talked to David. You wrote a whole book about how your older self would win, I feel. Oh, yeah. That's uh a nice way of putting it. I I do think I would I could easily take my 23-year-old self because my older self I'm not nearly in as good of shape. I was very fit when I was 23. I was training for my black belt. I was running and lifting weights. Uh, but I, I could take that youngster because she was just so lacking in confidence, as we now know. And I would just go in for the kill. I'd go right in for the solar plexus. And, <laughs> and I would teach her a lesson. I would teach her to stop dithering about. If you're going to do something, do it. 
Nice. That, that answer, can I, yeah, I that answer that cannot be improved awesome. on. Let's stop. I don't even have an answer. That was great. <laughs> okay. Um, this comes from Josh in Brisbane, Australia, where apparently things are pretty dark. Um, <laughs> would you rather... Okay, so here's the setup. Imagine that America must end. It must burn like Rome, and all victories, defeats, and status that has been achieved by America will be ended. The American people will survive, but America will never again retain the status and position within the world ever again. There is no way to avoid this. Would you rather it end as a rapid and brutal uh, destruction, or would you prefer that it end in a long, slow, drawn-out manner? Rapid, brutal. I mean, this is like, do you want to survive the apocalypse? I think the apocalypse sounds terrible. I think there are kinds of suffering that are much worse than just death. And if it's going to end, I think the merciful way to end it, just as it is with any individual life almost all the time, is quickly. Yes, Yes, I agree. I agree. And and we've had, I feel, a little taste of what a long, Mm -hmm. drawn-out experience would be like, and that's not very fun. But isn't there hope, you know? Isn't there this hope with a, you know, it took, it took, hundreds of years for Rome to fall. And there were probably periods, you know, at 300 AD when people were like, oh, we're, we're really fucked now. But it actually, you know, they had another 150 years to run until it, it really fell. And even after it fell, people who lived in Rome still, a lot of them still had okay lives. But so, they didn't know for sure that it was going to end the way that we do in okay, this Okay, I see you're saying. I you're thought saying the whole world was oh, ending. Well, that is a good question, is if... if if you if the people exi- if the people engaged in it in the moment know it's going to end mm. or whether yeah. we're just choosing because there yeah. is a first of all okay. there's a good, kind of beautiful twist. shabby uh, the shab the, the time of shabby decline I feel like can be romanticized by me and so therefore I will do it the second thing is all back to your point David about hope all of the great art that is created in those moments of crisis would be denied you if it ends all very quickly hmm the great art which lives beyond the death of, of Rome or, or in this case of this analogy, America. Um, I just thought I'm going to do the next question, but I just was about to do this question. And I thought this is the slate plus question, which is the Bechdel quest, test question. Oh, yeah. Let's save that for slate <laughs> yeah, plus. Yeah, good. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, all right. So now I need to find another one. Um, uh, sorry. One second. Okay. If you could live for a year with a fictional family from a piece of literature, which family would you choose? Asks Maggie. You know, I thought this would be a fun question to explore. And the more I thought about it, the more horrific it got. (laughs) No nice families? Very few nice families in literature. I mean, would you want to spend a year with the Karamazovs or the the Portnoys? No. I'm always complaining. Always. (laughs) Um, I, I... so I finally settled on I would I would like to spend time with um, the Schlegels in uh, E.M. Forster's Howard's End, this lovely mm-hmm. little uh, sort of Bloomsbury-esque family who I suddenly realized have no parents. It's three siblings living <laughs> on their own. So uh, that makes it sort of interesting. But I think they would have a really – that would be a nice place to spend a year, living in this well-appointed flat, uh, going to lectures and reading books. They took nice care of each other. Yeah, they were kind. Right. Interesting. I went back to children's literature for this, and I came up with two. Do you ever Have you ever read the Dory and the Witch books? No. So there's a little witch named Dory, and her mother is also a witch and is kind of stern, and Dory gets into scrapes, but basically, like, they're witches, which I'm quite drawn oh, to. Oh, I have seen this. It's right? very charming, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, 
And it's that mother is like kind, stern, seems like a good mom. I would and, like to be a she's witch. A crazy, she's a crazy witch, too, yes. which is cool. Yes. Um, and I also really love the family and all the kind family. And it's part of the sort of mm. early 20th century Jewish Lower East Side um, milieu that I'm very curious about. I have so much romance about that. And, and uh, you know, it's my grandparents' uh, milieu, too. And then I once bought a warm sweet potato on the street. <laughs> To, because I was like, they always have warm sweet potatoes from a vendor. And it was not very good. It yeah. was really not good. <laughs> did you it put butter so on it? What did you just ate it plain? I think there was butter on it. I mean, I do love a sweet potato, but it was so mm-hmm. it was so disappointing. I feel like you can't throw out the entire Lower East Side from the Lord, the early 20th century based on one sweet potato. Um, I think, to my fantasia, we now know this was all bogus. But the book Farmer Boy, which mm, is Almanzo. The, the, the Laura Ingalls Wilder account of Almanza Wilder's upbringing in upstate New York, always seemed fantastic. They were fairly prosperous farming family. He mm. seemed to have a wonderful life. They're eating. They eat. It's the best book about food Especially I've ever read. Especially compared to the long winter in yeah. which the Ingalls family is right. starving because Paz dragged them off to some godforsaken corner of exactly. the American West. Yeah. <laughs> they would not want to live with the Ingalls family. But I think maybe with them. Um, would you rather invent something that everyone uses on a daily basis or create a work of literature, painting, or cinema that people discuss long after your death? In other words, what is more important, utility, or art? And this question comes from Phil Goldstein. I think it's funny to ask this of Alison Bechdel, who's created a work, yes. <laughs> a work that will long well, outlive her. That's why oh, I brought I it up, actually. I don't feel at all uh, sure of that. You know, I, there's so many, so many books that fade away. I'm I'm prepared to be one of those books. Oh, I um, don't think this about Fun Home at all. Well, we'll see. We'll see in 100 years. In 2100, when the world is in flames. Emily's going to go check on it. <laughs> She's going to go forward and check forward. on it. So, I'll come back and tell you. I feel confident. Do you agree? Because there are those um, who have... Exp- so there's the book itself, and then there are those who experience the book and then talk about it. And so it lives on in a way that is like has its own life that's distinct from the piece of work, which will be true with you. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't feel attached to that kind of, you know, uh, posthumous fame. But as long as I'm doing something, I don't care if it's like a widget or a book, something that affects people's lives in a positive way, I would be happy. But so you are not going to pick a side. In I'm this? not going to pick a side. Uh, definitely something create that that lives on beyond you, even if it's not associated with you. That has a uh, that continues to be the source of people's thought and and is provocative or is meaningful to them over time so the work rather of than art. useful yeah yeah work of okay art. david uh, definitely something useful definitely something <laughs> useful that people dealt with every day a like, wind a windshield wiper yeah that just because. a little less friction in the day for someone yeah, thanks yeah. to you well a i don't think i'm capable of the creating a great piece of art and so it's sort of like i've i've figured out where my where my value add is where i but, where i can contribute in the chain what if it's just a sentence that you said that is incredibly meaningful that people repeat over and over again over through generations windshield wiper okay what is mm-hmm. what is the best way to politely shoo away a friend who you want to keep as a friend who is staying over too long at a dinner party barbecue etc especially as you can no longer use the excuse of having to put the kids to bed because you're at your own house. Uh, do, we, do we know who asked this? 
Phil Goldstein. Oh, okay. Phil is just <laughs> Phil has every question. I would, it would be interesting to be at Phil's house. He'd be constantly <laughs> asking you difficult uh, questions. I I would just like to say I'm incredible at this, basically because I am not very nice about it. Yeah, it's like it's I true. just sort of run out of patience, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> we're going to bed now, so you should leave. It's kind of like I, I just don't even make any bones about it. It's You've it's, actually done this. Oh, yeah. And you've no, experienced well, it. Well, David is very good at cutting off anything he's not he, when it's done. Okay. You're actually really good at ending oh, things. A, I totally good... appreciate it because yeah. it means that you know that if you're interacting with him, he actually wants me interacting with you. Now, I will say that when he was my boss and he didn't listen to me because he was doing something else while we were on the phone, it was irritating. But now that he's Although not my boss. Although that's a different thing. That's a failing unto itself, it's not true. associated with <laughs> that's this. That's true. It's a separate <laughs> failing. But, but, but now when David ends things, I totally but, appreciate but, it. John, you're a super polite person. How do you – It is hell. Because I have been – the amount of years that I've spent in my life unable to extricate myself from conversations because I don't want right. to like, put a foot wrong. You are opposites on this. Um, it's so And true. it's awful. I wish I had your – seriously. Because the pe- when people do it with me, I am so grateful. They're like, we've had a great interaction. We've exchanged some really good stuff. I'm on to the next thing. And that's cool. And everybody's and, – and so when I'm the recipient of this behavior, it is so wonderful. I'm unable to um, – uh, do it myself. So isn't the answer something to do with cleaning up? And this is actually... Yeah, you get up and start doing the dishes. Yes. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I definitely do that. What if they don't get the signal, though? Because I know some yeah, people that... That definitely doesn't oh. always work. Let me help in the kitchen. But no, if no, someone no, helps, it's good. No, really, come on. But no. if someone helps, then they're helping. I feel like that's a treat. I mean, it's certainly better than they're just sitting there, right? And often the person who doesn't want to leave does not want to help, and then they leave. Huh. Because there is that tricky customer who is awesome at an hour, but in an hour and 15 minutes, diminishing returns. I think I'm probably like that as a guest. So you don't want me hanging around and helping in the kitchen. This is, I'm trying to get like out of doing the dishes in advance here. Well, I am of an age where most people are as eager to leave as I am for them to go. <laughs> right. It doesn't come up, though. 845, it is bedtime. <laughs> and we live in the woods. Spend a weekend in your own head reading a fabulous new book by a new author. Or having a fabulous new experience with new people? That's like the easiest. That question is so easy for me. I mean, the second choice. The second choice. Seems clear. Yeah. So I would have chosen the first choice because I prefer mostly to be alone. But then I realized, but if if it was true that you were having a fabulous new experience and it was with new people, then yes, of course, the second one. Oh, wait, no, no. Sorry, I misunderstood. (laughs) (laughs) I would totally want to be alone, whatever, whatever is going on. Any choice. No matter You how. don't care how sparkly no. and charismatic they are. No. You would rather be by yourself. No, that would be exhausting. That is our show for today. The Gab Fest is produced by Shana Roth. Our researcher is Bridget Dunlap, who did such an incredible job gathering all your conundrums. And you, listeners, are the suppliers of the raw material of this show. Thank you so much for the amazing conundrums this year. Our theme music is by They Might Be Giants. Ben Richmond is Senior Director for Podcast Operations. Alicia Montgomery is the VP of Audio for Slate. And Merritt Jacob, special MVP, engineered this episode here at the Slate Brooklyn studio. Please follow us on Twitter at at SlateGabFest and tweet chatter to us there for Emily Bazelon and John Dickerson and Allison Bechdel. Oh my gosh, what a pleasure having you, Allison. I'm David Plotz. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next year. Hello, Slate Plus. How are you for this bonus segment? We're going to do some extra conundrums here with Allison Bechdel 
And we're going to start with a question from Jay Edwards. Hello, GabFest. Alison Bechdel has the Bechdel test. So if there was a Bazelon test, a Dickerson rule, a Plotz law, what would they be? Let's start, because we've got her here, by having Alison Bechdel define what the Bechdel test is. Okay. The Bechdel test is a test for movies to determine how well they treat their female characters, like if they count them as full human subjects or not. So a movie has to have at least two female characters who speak to each other about something besides a man. It's quite simple and was often very hard for a movie to pass. Now there's more that do, but it weeds things out very quickly. It's a really good test. I think we each have to pick for our, ourselves, probably. I know. I wish I had. Oh, I had more fun thinking about them for you guys. Okay, I'm... sure. Go. Um, well, my test for you, David, is that you have to, if you go to a new city, which you should do, mm. you have to walk everywhere. Oh, that's a good test. Sure. Um, it's so hard to think that the Bechdel test is its own particular God, species of test. Um, it's so much better than everything yes. else. Yeah. I mean, is it, is it, is the Bech, is it, the thing we're supposed to do is like a, a tool for analyzing the world? If you can, Yeah. I, I settled for something Well, then the, there is a plot, or maybe there's a me test for a day in a city, right? So if it's it's David, it would be a walking, and then I'm adding my own here, which would be uh, independent bookstore and um, coffee shop. So, like, that would be the test for whether a town or a day in a particular town would be, I guess. All right. I was I I was thinking of things that were more like... Just go. Rules for the world. I think that is so, the so better one of them is answer. One of them, which I've written about, which truly I st- stole from Margaret Talbot, is the rule of would I do it tomorrow? That when faced with any, That's a great any invitation in the future, oh, yeah. it's right. like, would right. I do this literally right. tomorrow? Yes, and, and then if you the answer is no, it, then you, you decline. Yeah. That has changed my life. Yes. Any, anyhow, that's a separate story. Please continue. Um mm-hmm. I think I was trying to think of one for movies because yours is a movie test. And my view is that any time in a movie, but kind of as an amateur, that's amazing. Like that movie is great. There's never a movie where someone is performing music and it's not amazing. Like once Station Eleven has these incredible scenes of people performing music. Um, that's my view. I don't know. Clearly that, that one went over really well. <laughs> no, I like that. I like that. Huh. I made up movie tests for each of you, oh. but, they're, but they're not very—they're not very clever. Oh, we they're want just, to hear them okay, anyway. Okay, so the Dickerson—what is what is the phrasing oh, of a, that? Uh, rule. Dickerson rule. The Dickerson rule <laughs> would be: it, two characters have to debate some obscure point of presidential history in the movie. Oh, good. Okay. Yes, that's good. That's, that's good. Yes, and the Bazelon test would be: uh, one character has to use some obscure Latin legal term <laughs> and and define it. And define it or exemplify it in what they're saying. The plot's plot would be... Uh, law. I got a law. It would be one, one character has to go off on some kind of foot length, footnote length level digression about something <laughs> completely off the plot. Awesome. <laughs> the off the plot. But the best part to listen to in the end. Um, the Do you like having the test named after you? Have you ever heard of Stigler's Law of Eponymy? No. no. I always oh. think of this because... It, that law states that no law that is actually named after an actual person 
was invented by that person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that true for it's you? It's totally true in my case. I stole that whole thing from a friend. And all of, all these laws, Murphy's Law was not invented. That was just a snippet from our Slate Plus conversation. If you want to hear the whole conversation, go to slate.com slash GabFest Plus to become a member today. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.